AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million dollars. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. Laura and I write a dictionary for our own language and mock the cool kids in our new foreign tongue. Lisa shows me how to make a spider web of string all over my bedroom and hang bells on it to detect ghosts while we sleep. For three months, we're happy. Then, the day after Christmas, my mother sits me down to tell me that Laura is dead. She was killed while flying home with her entire family, grandmother to infant brother, on a Pan Am flight bombed by Libyan terrorists over Lockerbie, Scotland. I am eight. I fall quiet for long periods. I feel like my head is full of cotton, feel sleepy and mute and numb. Finally, my dad teaches me to read the London Times. You have to understand the forces that took her. It will seem less scary if you do. 
I think of the faceless monster on the cardboard spook house, and I know that he's right. Slowly, my world is filled with a new cast of characters. Gaddafi and Thatcher and Reagan and Gorbachev. They sound like exotic fairy tale people, wizards and witches and woodsmen living in distant magical forests. But their storybook showdowns can spill over into the real world, into my world, and steal my friends from the sky. So I have to pay attention. That's Amaryllis Fox. You know, if I were writing a novel about a spy, and I had to come up with a great name for that spy, I'd like to think I could invent a name as perfect as Amaryllis Fox. But the thing is, Amaryllis really was a spy, recruited by the CIA at the age of 21 and working under deep cover for nearly a decade. She's the author of the memoir Life Undercover, Coming of Age in the CIA. This is a story about what happens when being a secret and keeping a secret is a matter of life and death. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. The landscape of my childhood changed every year. And I think as a result, eventually I realized that my landscape was planet Earth, you know, and that whether it was a souk in the Middle East or it was a refugee camp in Tanzania or it was a beautiful Downton Abbey type house in the countryside in England, that humans and the humans that inhabited them were the same. You know, and I think that was an enormous gift. It didn't always feel that way as a kid, being in a new place every year. But I suppose the landscape of my childhood was, in a sense, my family, because it was the one consistency between all of these places. Uh, We moved every year because my dad was an economist who focused on developing economies and took us with him to new countries every year. And, you know, my birthday is in September, so every year I would know nobody in a new place to invite over for my birthday. But it was an amazing range of experience. I think looking back on it now as an adult, it seemed ordinary to me as a child, but it was really quite magical. Sure, it always does, right? Our childhoods just feel like that must be the way the whole world lives. Absolutely. You know, and I think actually it's quite a milestone when you realize that there are so many ways to live a life and that people who have taken another path through their life have, from all of the different hills and valleys that they've been through that we haven't, have had a completely different vantage point on the terrain and have intelligence that they can share with us. But definitely as a child, I thought, I mean, I knew people didn't move every year, but I thought that everyone felt as at home in the world as I did. And I think it was really sort of getting to university and realizing that for many people, that was kind of the first time that they had had any horizons beyond their hometown. Every September, when the new school year started, Amaryllis would find herself beginning again. This might be New York or in the UK or Jakarta, Zanzibar, Moscow. Thailand. Each country had different customs and modes of dress and sights and smells, and she grew up 
having to make sense of it all, to witness, learn, and adapt. It's such a primal period, and you're kind of trained in a very primal sense to look for the archetypes that you need to recognize to survive when you're a young child. And you look for the caregivers, and you look for the potential friends, and those people exist everywhere. And so I think in a way that the terrain of my childhood on the surface looked incredibly varied. But when I look back on it, it all feels very warm. I had a great sense of safety in my early childhood. I think that that changed as it always does as we grow up. But in my early childhood, and even beyond that, physically, I felt very safe, even in very tumultuous environments as a kid, because I'd kind of never known anything else. Describe your mother for me. My mother is a poet at heart. She's an artist. Um, she's English, and she comes from a very old, you know, kind of snazzy English family that kind of knows all the rules about what to say and what not to say and what salad fork to use and so on. But in her heart, she is this incredibly free thinker and this really radical poet and artist. She went to a really interesting school as a child in England called Beedales, which has a reputation for kind of breaking out of the stiff upper lip British mold and creating the kind of the hippie free thinkers of the UK. And, you know, she really gave me a love of the spoken word and the written word. I memorized poetry all through my childhood. And that was very much down to my mom. You know, she had learned poetry growing up and written poetry growing up. And she would walk home from school, skipping classes and walk home through the meadows reciting poetry. And it was really important to her and it is now to me to have kind of the wisdom of ages past in a place that no one can ever take it from you. You know, I think the things that we learn by heart are ours and even in a terrible circumstance even when everything else has been stripped away you know no one can take that and my mom really gave me that love of art and literature as a way of understanding society challenging society tell me about your father my father is much more analytical much more almost like a human computer, I guess you could say. I, As a child and even now, I sort of always had the sense of his knowing everything in terms of facts. Not so much always in terms of the life experience or wisdom emotionally, in terms of emotional intelligence to put those facts to work in a way that you kind of might think of as wisdom. But he is incredibly curious and incredibly intelligent in his capabilities in his ability to always be seeking new information and to pull all of that information in to kind of constantly update his model of the universe and crunch as many numbers as you could kind of possibly put in front of him. And he is, in fact, an economist by training. He's American, grew up in a little small town called Franklinville in upstate New York and was one of only two kids in his class to go to college, the first in his family. Very different childhood from my mother, you know, working class, single mother. 
And he ended up at the University of Chicago and was kind of a wonderkind there. You know, it was loved by all the professors and advanced really quickly and ended up being one of the youngest tenured professors there in his early 20s and met my mom that as he sort of moved towards his 30s and she was much younger. And they just were as different as two people could be. How did they meet? They met actually by mistake in a way. My dad had been set up on a blind date with my mother's sister when he was visiting London for business. And my mother's sister got the stomach flu and and sent my mother instead. And they went to a little night music play, the musical in the West End in London, and had, you know, by all accounts, a very romantic evening. And then my dad went back to America and my mom went and traveled around Greece and Italy as a, as a kind of backpacker because she was still just fresh out of school. And my dad wrote to her and kind of, you know, my mom always says he drew birds on the top of the paper in that way that you can write them that looks like an M, you know, and that that seemed so romantic because he is so analytical and not an artist. And it was sort of his attempt to be romantic. At any rate, he eventually sent her a a one-way plane ticket to Chicago and she went. And I think it was such a new world for her because she was coming out of the world of country manor houses in England surrounded by ideas and art and literature and these kind of 600-year-old rooms that are incredibly grand, but like the heat doesn't work and there are mice in the cupboards, so you have to knock on it before you open it. You know, just all the contradictions of English country life and suddenly was in the midst of this kind of intellectual cauldron at the University of Chicago where every night they were at a different dinner party with incredibly articulate, fast, intellectual men and women. But I think the women in particular really struck my mom because they they were just so different from anyone she'd come across before that could just repartee on any topic and were so worldly and were 10 years older than she was because so was my dad. And I think it was quite bewildering for her at the beginning. I think she kind of struggled to remember her own worth a little bit then. Two huge events occur during Amaryllis's childhood. First, her older brother Ben, her partner in crime, compatriot, closest person, is sent off to boarding school. Ben has learning challenges and is also exceptionally bright, with the kind of mind that retains detail, history, musical scores. Ben and Amaryllis have always spent lots of time together, haunting museums in various cities or attending concerts. He is the consistent backdrop of her childhood, her everything. And then, just like that, he's gone away. He puts a brave face on it, but Amaryllis is terribly lonely. The family is now living in London. Amaryllis is in the third grade. She makes new friends, particularly a girl named Laura. Then, Laura and her entire family are killed on Pan Am Flight 103, blown up by a terrorist bomb over Lockerbie, Scotland. My mom waited until after Christmas to tell me, so I I always think of it as just after Christmas, but it was just before, you know, she'd been traveling back with her mom and her dad and her sister to go home for Christmas, as so many people on that flight were, and they were all gone. You know, and I remember my mom saying, 
it's a blessing that they were all together. There's, you know, there's no one left to grieve them. They, they all went together. And I just, it was just so much to process and to absorb. I'd never lost anyone really close to me. I'd like death was kind of a, something I'd like read about in books, but I'd never really experienced in a deep way until then. And it's also the first time that you have any awareness that there's terrorism in the world and that something like this can happen and it can happen on purpose. It can happen on purpose. That somebody somewhere who never knew Laura, never knew me, could make a plan for some reason that made no sense to any of us and had nothing to do with our lives and steal my friend and her entire family from the sky. It was just so scary and huge. You know, it was just such a big revelation that really shook my world. And I think I was really struggling with it because my dad stepped in, which was quite rare. In general, my mom was very much kind of the heart of our family. And my dad was sort of, I guess, more the the mind, but he was often deploying that mind out in the world doing his work and, and wasn't really a big part of child rearing. But I remember him stepping in there and introducing me to the newspaper. And I think he sensed that I needed to make sense of what had happened. I needed to understand why somebody had done this thing and why they had done it on purpose and how it might or might not happen again. And I think I had a hard time at the beginning reading those stories as more real than the kind of fictional stories that I was used to reading. But I also kind of had this constant sort of Damocles idea hanging over my head that at any given moment, one of these things might spill over into real life and do this kind of incredible harm. And so, you know, when I look back on it, it's definitely something of the kind of end of innocence, but also the beginning of feeling an urgent desire and need to understand what was happening in the world and some sense of responsibility of kind of understanding it so that maybe someday I could do some small thing to help it be better. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a Day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Amaryllis grows up paying attention to the news, to world events. When she's 12, her father is working in Moscow and there is a siege. For a number of panicked hours, he is unreachable. When he returns safely home, he registers that Amaryllis needs to see more of what's actually happening on the ground, so that in its tangibility, it will be less frightening to her. So on his next trip to Moscow, during a time of protests and a fight for democracy, he invites her to join him. I think it was a great insight on his part. I think he probably recognized the part of my DNA that was his, you know, which is this part that finds things that I can understand and know up close and personal much less scary than the kind of shadows and boogeymen and, and monsters in the closet, you know. I also was scared for him going back and he felt as though if I could go and see the thing that was scaring me up close and personal that 
I would understand it and that maybe there would be some jagged edges that really were there. But in seeing them, I would not be imagining them as worse than they were. And he was right about that. Not only that time, but pretty much in every other circumstance thereafter. I mean, it, it became, I guess you could say, a coping mechanism for me every time something really scared me to try to take it apart and understand it or to get to know it better rather than to avoid it. And that practice has turned out to be a great gift because I think, you know, especially if you fast forward to today's world where everything is seen through the lens of media and social media, all of which is kind of designed to make scary things even scarier for profit. The habit of sidestepping that narrative and going out and meeting the scary people or seeing the scary place for yourself, that's been an enormous gift in my life in making me feel safer and, and making me feel better about the future that's to come. That reminds me of a great moment in your story where it's like kind of a perfect metaphor where you describe this little toy vampire bat that your brother had had and it scared you. You started dreaming of this bat. I hated that thing. You hated that bat. <laughs> and what your father did in that situation, which struck me as so wise, and it's the same really as, as what you're saying, is this like a childhood version of it is he sat you on the floor and pulled apart the bat and like took apart the bat, laid out all the pieces of the bat, the battery and everything about what made that bat look scary. And then you write after that, I'd never been afraid of him again. Absolutely. It was a story that I went back to so often in my mind um, as I got older and older and things that seemed just as existentially terrifying as that vampire bat had to me when I was a child. And I mean, by the way, this thing was really scary. It had like, it had red pretend blood that swirled around in its proboscis and my brother would, you know, bring it up and squeeze its stomachs to get the, get the blood swirling and as it, as it approached my arm. And I was pretty young. I really felt that this thing was a threat to my survival, you know. And as I got older, there were other things that I thought were threats to my survival. And that memory of kind of, okay, but what if you give this the vampire bat treatment? You know, what if you set out the towel and you take this thing apart piece by piece and figure out that that blood swirling around in the proboscis is really just a piece of plastic with red paint. And when it swirls, it looks scary. But when you take it out, it's not, you know, and understand what the source of fuel is that's fueling this. What is that battery? And as I got older and began thinking about the things that scared me in my own personal life and then the things that scared me in geopolitics and in security and in the world, that same idea applies. And it's allowed me to see people as the humans that they are instead of the kind of vampire bat that they might feel when you first hear whatever the threat and the story is. It's like there was a training ground there almost for yeah. what would end up being your path. Yeah, I think my dad was just trying to get some sleep, honestly, because I kept having nightmares about this thing. But it turned out to be a really great life lesson. Amaryllis grows up to be the kind of young woman who, as a senior in high school, cuts school because she hears that Houston Smith is speaking in D.C. It's a rare opportunity to hear Smith, who is one of the world's most influential scholars in religious studies. So she plays hooky and gets a demerit. Can you believe it? 
she isn't off somewhere smoking weed or making out with her boyfriend. No, she's educating herself. But hey, that's high school. Her inner pendulum swings back and forth between her passions and interests. Poetry, literature, the space program, a life of public service. For college, she debates between the Naval Academy and Oxford University. She chooses Oxford, and when she graduates from Oxford, she enrolls in a master's program in conflict and terrorism at Georgetown's School of Foreign Service. So you go to graduate school at Georgetown, and you are recruited by the CIA. Yeah, I mean, it sounds crazy when you say it that way. I, a friend of mine said, you know, it must be hard if you ever go to therapy because the therapist is sort of trained to think that anyone who thinks they work for CIA is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the approach at the time, 9-11 had just happened. And 9-11 for me was an incredibly, I guess the word today is triggering thing in, in that obviously was for all of us an incredible national trauma I think on top of that, for me, it brought back Laura's death and this idea of terrorism as something that can completely, um, you know, derail the world and, and the lives of people in it with no warning. And I was in D.C. in that day, you know, and the, the black smoke over the Pentagon and my little sisters were evacuated from the cathedral school because they thought it might be a target. And it was it was all kind of it felt very reminiscent in odd ways of losing Laura and so after all of that I was really set on kind of in a way I guess you could say going back to that vampire bat advice of my dad's from my childhood and trying to figure out you know how do we take this thing apart and figure out what makes it tick the agency person who I first spoke with was a CIA officer, but he was declared. He wasn't undercover. And he was working as a professor at Georgetown teaching classes in the subject of intelligence, you know, what what it means and what its impact is on geopolitics and so on. So he was kind of openly teaching students. And so when we first talked, I think I was so surprised by kind of how humble and curious and quiet he was. And it was just nothing like the movies. And he really seemed to have that same interest that I did in taking this thing apart and and understanding what drives it and what the humanity is behind it in order to find some way to make it stop. And that really spoke to me in a way that I never expected the intelligence world to be something that I would find any appeal in. Like the CIA officer who is Amaryllis's professor, other CIA officers she meets strike her as curious, humble, and genuinely interested in questions beginning with the word, why. She begins a long process of interviews and exams, role-playing, language aptitude tests, psych evaluations, and polygraphs. At the age of 22, she receives a provisional offer of employment. She has a friend from Georgetown named Jim, who has also undergone the arduous application process. The two of them confide in each other, travel together as they await word. Then, Amaryllis receives a cryptic message. Her security clearance, top secret clearance, is complete. She's given instructions to report to CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, the following week. And in the meantime, to tell anyone who knows she's applied that she did not make the cut. She meets Jim that night 
looks him in the eye, and tells him her first lie. And then she starts to cry. He was the last person who had known her truth, and now she has lost him. But maybe, maybe there's one other person who can know at least something of the truth of her life. Her boyfriend from the UK, Anthony. If he's to move to the States to be with her, they'll have to get married, and the agency will have to approve. This is what's known as an agency marriage. Anthony is put through a battery of tests, including a polygraph, and he passes muster. He and Amaryllis get married, but this doesn't mean that she can share much with him. The secrecy continues, doing what secrecy does, causing rifts, opening fault lines. To make matters more complicated, a month after their marriage, Amaryllis is moved into the most elite operational training program on Earth and is sent to a covert base in Virginia known as The Farm, which is a little like the CIA meets The Truman Show. It's an incredibly lonely way to spend your 20s. There's no doubt. I mean, it's almost like a kind of Russian nesting doll or something where you're the only person who knows the real truth of who you are is like the little doll at the center, you know, and the people that you work with who've trained with you at the farm or who work on your behalf on your desk back at headquarters, they kind of know the next level out. And then the people who work for your cover company and provide your cover maybe know the next level out. And and then eventually the people around you in the field don't know you at all. And the difficult part, I think the hardest part really is that your family and your friends from before are in that outer shell layer for, you know, for their protection, for your protection, for everyone's protection. But for me, it was really difficult and really lonely to not be able to lean on my mom in particular, but lean on my family in general and ask their advice. You know, you're suddenly in some of the most morally complex and challenging moments and scenarios you've ever been in with enormous responsibility and obligation. And and then right at this time where you would need guidance and wisdom from the people you trust most, you can't ask anybody's advice and you can't seek anyone's wisdom because no one knows what you're doing and they, and they can't know what you're doing. So the farm is really this, as you say, wild Truman Show simulation where, you know, you're you're pretending to be a first tour officer in a, in a kind of fictional country for six months um, and working on operations against diplomats, against terrorists, against other spies. And every person there from, you know, the sources that you're developing to the police officers who are throwing you in the gravel and searching your car to the newscasters that are on the 24-hour TV news in your bedroom are all actually officers, CIA officers, who are taking a tour away from the field back home to help train, you know, the next generation of operatives. And it's an incredible investment that they all make and and the government makes in all of us and I think it's an appropriate investment because once you get out there you are so alone and you have the lives of other people in your hands I mean your own life yes but also the lives of people who are putting everything at risk in order to warn us about an attack to warn us about 
something that is coming down the pike um, that would put their own life in danger for sharing. It was just a small group of us that were in this incredible uh, pressure cooker. But at least during training, we had one another to lean on. And then once we were all out in the field, your sense of self-sufficiency and your self-knowledge really has to kick in because you're the only person who knows you at that point. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about what you said before about moving every year and starting a new school and being in a new country and developing the skill set of looking for the caretakers, looking for the people who will make good new friends, like the survival skills that were in a way already taking root in you in a certain way, like you had to start over again and again and again as a child. And that must have created a great sense of self-sufficiency that then was at least a piece psychologically of what made it be possible to be that tiniest nesting doll. Yeah, I think that's true. I think my childhood was probably my first training course in many ways. There are skills that I was given at the farm. Obviously, most of what you're doing is is the kind of actual deep relationship building and how to keep your sources secure and so on. And then you do the stuff you see in the movies, you know, the defensive driving and land navigation. And I qualified on the Glock and the M4, even though I never carried a weapon in the field. But, you know, you do all of that kind of the sexy stuff you see in the movies. But one skill that I learned there that was immensely useful to me was meditation. And it it kind of seems surprising that that would be part of the spy school training, as it were. But having the ability to get quiet every day um, in a formal way, but also in my own head in the middle of a sequence when I'm not sitting on a cushion somewhere, when I'm in the middle of something that is unfolding very quickly with a lot of kind of kinetic uncertainty to be able to remember the kind of true self and true purpose in that moment was really the bedrock that I relied on for so many of those years so I was really grateful to have that I still it's one of the few things that I learned there that I still practice on a daily basis that was taught as kind of part of the standard issue Here's your Glock, here's your M4, here's how you flip a car, and here's how you get quiet sitting on a cushion, you know? We'll be right back. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. 
don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Amaryllis and Anthony's marriage doesn't survive her time at the farm. She returns home to find an empty apartment and Anthony gone. In the stillness, she says, I was flooded with relief. She's now working under non-official cover, a coveted dangerous position, and charged with keeping weapons of mass destruction out of the hands of global terror groups. She travels around the world, returning home only to switch out bags and pick up new alias documents. But eventually, it's time for a more permanent cover. And it isn't easy to find just the right identity for a 25-year-old white girl in places like Yemen, Libya, Pakistan. So Amaryllis, who has grown up steeped in the art world, whose parents are collectors, becomes an art dealer as her cover. She meets her family for brunch at a cafe, and tells them she's going to try her hand at dealing indigenous art. Her parents believe it. She hopes Al-Qaeda will too. Against this backdrop, and could there be anything less conducive to form a lasting relationship? Amaryllis has begun an on-again, off-again relationship with a guy named Dean, who also works for the agency. They each understand that by necessity they have secrets from one another. Amaryllis continues to rise to the top of her field and is eventually asked to take on a highly sensitive six-year assignment in Shanghai. And she and Dean are given a choice. 
Either they can go together, another agency marriage, or they won't see one another for the next six years. This isn't a marriage based on great love, as much as it is on practicality and a balm against loneliness. I think as much as it would be kind of romantic to say that it was all about not wanting to not see each other, I think it was as much maybe more about not wanting to go alone. You know, both of us were looking at long deployments in dangerous places doing complicated work that we could not talk to anybody else about. And the only kind of possibility of having having a shoulder to lean on and somebody to ask counsel from was to marry someone who you trusted their judgment. And, and even in that circumstance, we weren't totally both read in on what the other one was doing. But we knew enough about each other to at least share you know, a pretty significant part of our truth that nobody else around us knew. And I think we had immense professional respect for each other and a good, strong friendship. And we have both of those things to this day. Uh, and we share an amazing daughter. So I, I think ultimately, in its own funny way, it was the right decision. But definitely, I now look back on it as a, as a mom of two girls who I, I know will fall in love one day themselves. It was a sign of how the work and the mission was not only expected to be the number one priority, but really the only priority, you know, and anything else, whether it was a relationship or love or family, kind of only was there in as far as it sort of fit in the space around that priority, which was the work itself, you know, preventing whatever the next attack was. And in my case, I worked on WMD and it just, you know, the potential scale of of a disaster seemed to kind of drown out everything else. On top of the secrets, on top of the secrets, Amaryllis and Dean are both aware that their house in Shanghai, their every move, is likely bugged. That, as they say, the walls have ears. So the play acting of the young woman art dealer must continue, even during off hours. It's an identity she has to assume through and through. It was a time that emerging art was sort of suddenly on the fine art scene in a big way. And um, I was working on WMD that had the potential to fall into the hands of terror groups, which is it required being in places and mixing with sort of the people that your average kind of like 20 something year old white girl wouldn't necessarily have a a logical explanation for being in or, or meeting with. And so emerging art seemed like a plausible reason to be in the places that I needed to be in. So that was what we went with. What did it feel like, Amaryllis, like during those years? I mean, you had such a sense of purpose for very good reason. But I keep on going back to that image of the tiniest nesting doll of, you know, you were close to your family and they didn't know where you were or vaguely they knew where you were, but like what you were doing. What allowed you to stay as steady as you did? I mean, I think it was this constant kind of, how can I do this, but also how can I not? And, you know, each step you get farther in and then you're in this place where you actually have the operational ability to build a relationship with a source within a terror group or within an arms network that 
has the potential to prevent an attack where hundreds, maybe thousands or more Lauras, you know, which is how I'm thinking of it, this friend that I had lost, and their families will die. You know, not just on our side, by the way, but on all sides of this thing. And I think it became a way of trying to make things right in some small way or do right by this friend who never got to make choices about what she was going to do as as a grown-up, you know? And it wasn't just Laura, but I think this idea of so much lost potential, and especially once I had my daughter, the, the idea of how much there is to lose through conflict, you know, what it means to really love another human being, which I think you understand in a kind of completely new way once you have a child, and what that means for the mothers and fathers on all sides and in all places who are affected by division and by conflict, and how can each of us do some tiny part, you know, to get ourselves to peace. That became a real preoccupation and purpose for me. But I think with it was the recognition that you can't ask a source to put their life on the line unless you can look them in the eye and say, there is nothing in my life more important than keeping you alive. And I got to the point, you know, towards the end of that decade, once I'd had my daughter, where I began to realize I couldn't honestly, honestly say that anymore. And I felt like maybe that meant that this sort of particular form of service for me had to really come to an end and I had to entrust it to the next generation of amazing kids. And, we, and they are kids. We were kids. You know, we're so young, the people who do this work. But it, it came time, I think, to pass the baton at that stage. In 2009, when Amaryllis is not quite 28, she returns to the States with her family. This was, initially, so Dean could undergo an advanced surveillance course. But the agency marriage is fraying. And so is Amaryllis's sense that she can balance being a spy with being the mother of a very young child. Did you know when you returned that that was it, that you weren't going to go back? Maybe in some deep place in my soul, but I don't think I'd really practically grappled with it. Or, or come to that conclusion. I mean, I was at headquarters working there in support of some things that were happening in the field while thinking about what what my next tour would be, which is pretty typical. You know, you, you spend some time rebuilding relationships at, at headquarters and kind of doing some support work there while you figure out what you're going to do next. And people do that with multiple tours throughout their career. But I think as I was there and thinking through what an, another tour would mean and that it would necessarily, as Zoe got older, mean asking her to participate in secrets in some form or another that I realized I couldn't ask that of her. I could ask it of myself, but I couldn't ask that of her. And that there were other forms of service out there, you know, and I wasn't exactly sure what that would look like or what was next, but I think I began to sense that period of service and that form of service for me was drawn to an end. So now she's back. She's given nearly a decade of her life to the CIA, and Amaryllis is done. After years of building alias after alias, cover after cover, secret after secret, what was it like to sit down with her parents, her brother, the people who had been imagining one life while she was living quite another, and to tell them the truth 
<laughs> it was uh, it was a great relief for me to tell them, but I think in large part because I could do it with it being in retrospect, right? I could tell them this thing that I knew would be very scary, especially for my mom, and say, and then we all lived happily ever after, right. you know? <laughs> you know, I don't think that my family was as shocked as kind of maybe you might be if you had a different kind of daughter or had raised her in a different kind of way. But I think, you know, if I remember back to 9-11 and the decision to go to Georgetown and study the causes of terrorism, the thing that I gave up in order to do that was going back to the Thai Burmese border and pursuing a career as a human rights and war journalist focused on the conflicts in Northern Burma. And so I don't think they ever expected me to kind of be an accountant. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was an immense relief to be able to kind of reclaim real intimacy. And I, I had never felt as though we were strangers to one another, even though they didn't know these kind of very important facts of my life for a while. We were still intimate soulmates throughout all of that. My mom is my best friend in the world. But it makes it a lot easier when uh, you can actually really open up all of those nesting doll layers and look into one another's faces again. Um, so, yeah, it was a it was a beautiful moment. I, we, we were out on a boat, actually. I thought it was easiest to be able to do it in a place where we could have a whole conversation without interruption and with, without the ability of anyone to walk away. <laughs> I think in so many cultures, there's a period during the transition to adulthood where you go through some kind of experience in the wilderness or some kind of service to your country or your community or a period of fasting and growth. And in a weird way, this was all of those things, you know, and it was wonderful to be back in real life in the arms of my family. But knowing that I had served and that I'd grown and that I'd learned enormously, learned so many things and was kind of ready to return to life as a grown woman when I had really left as a child. Here's Amaryllis reading a brief passage from her book about those remarkable years. When I'm invited to speak publicly about my work, my body physically revolts like jerking my fingers back from a hot stove. I get it, the journalist jokes. You want to keep all your lessons locked up so only you can enjoy them. No, I laugh. I'm just scared of... I pause. Of... He prompts me. Every instinct and every piece of training I've ever undergone is in opposition to this moment. What will happen if I tell the world the truth? Spill that most secret of secrets. That all we soldiers and spies... All the belching, booming, armored juggernauts of war. All the terror groups and all the rogue states. That we're all just pretending to be fierce because we're all on fire with fear. What will happen if I speak those words out loud? Will I get hurt? Will Zoe get hurt? Will our life be disrupted all over again? But then I remember my daughter looking up at me and laughing. I think of the white flowers on the table in Karachi and the girls sitting in their dusty circle outside Mosul. Of the prisoners, here at home, making amends to their victims and themselves. Of the gang members removing their tattoos. Of nothing, I answer. 
And instead of hiding, I sit in front of a camera and tell the truth. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartMedia. Dylan Fagan and Bethann Macaluso are the executive producers. Andrew Howard is our audio editor. If you have a secret you'd like to share, leave us a voicemail, and your story could appear on an upcoming bonus episode. Our number is 1-888-SECRET-0. That's secret and then the number zero. You can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer, Facebook at facebook.com slash familysecretspod, and Twitter at famsecretspod. And if you want to know about my family's secret that inspired this podcast, check out my New York Times bestselling memoir, Inheritance. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules Today, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.